0: around the world called marathons. Before he died of exhaustion on the spot, the legend says he uttered this word, Nike, or victory. You know that word better in English, pronounced Nike, in reference to the worldwide supplier of athletic shoes and apparel, Named for Nike, the Greek goddess of victory. Alas, Pheidippides died before he could sign an exclusive contract with the shoe company, which is just as well. It's so much easier to order a pair of Air Jordans than a pair of Air Pheidippides. The, Bible, the Bible's historical counterpart to the ancient Greek legend is found in the book of 2 Samuel, remember, in which Himaaz the son of Zadok, outran the Cushite messenger and was uh, spotted first by King David's watchman coming with the good news to David that the insurrection that was led by Absalom had been put down. At any rate, the concept of a messenger uh, hastening on foot and bearing good news was nothing strange to uh, ancient ears. And a messenger bringing good news, Isaiah, says has beautiful feet, not a nice pedicure now, but, uh, but beautiful feet nonetheless. Beautiful because they carry good news. The footfall of such a messenger itself is delightful to see. Sometimes you hear preachers preach sermons asking, do you have beautiful feet? By which, of course, they mean, are you carrying the message The good news, sometimes we call it the gospel, to others around you of Jesus Christ. Indeed, are you evangelizing? And that's the way Paul uses this passage, by the way, applies it in his letter to the Romans. Uh, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul reasons in a continuing string of reasoning in Romans 10 concerning carrying the gospel to the people. As it is written, Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Well, Isaiah is here writing not so much to those carriers of good news as to the recipients of the good news. Beautiful feet have come to us, have come to you, have come to me. The messenger has come to you or maybe to your ancestors carrying that message. We've received the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's the news of his having made us as he did, of his redeeming us by the shedding of his own blood and rising from the dead as he has, of his continuing to care for us in all of our lives as he does, in every detail, our ever-present Good Shepherd which he is. It's the good news. And he who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven before his disciples' view will return the same way when he will bring to consum- consummation the, the redemption, the glorious redemption that he has already accomplished on the earth. What is that message of good news? What's well, the message first, verse 7? A message of peace. And by peace, what the Bible means is much more than simply the absence of conflict or outward turmoil. It means that that abiding, underlying, sometimes in this life, yes, even subdued, even for Christians at times, but there nonetheless, a sense of calm, of serenity, that comes from knowing that your peace, God and Father has it all under His control. Nothing happens apart from His complete and perfect will. All things take place according to His perfect and eternal decree. It is a peace that finds at its foundation the sure and certain confidence that I am in his favor. His kind eye, his loving eye, is turned to me. And his strong arm is working all things for good, for my good, because I belong to him. How do I know that? Because I'm resting by faith on Him, in particular in His Son, Jesus, who has paid the price for my sin, has undergone the wrath of God and the punishment that I was due, that my sins deserved in my place on the cross. It's a message second of happiness. What news could be happier than this? Once I was lost now I am found. Because God has found me. Because God has chosen me to rescue me and to send me this news. And I can receive it. I'm able to receive it only because the Holy Spirit has given it to me to receive it. Without Him, I would be treading today and you would too the wide road that leads to hell but because of him I have eternal life through Jesus Christ tell me if you can top that news if you could give me better news than that I'd like to hear it it is third and in some a message of salvation and all of that is possible Uh, Only for the simple, yet all-consuming, universe-consuming statement there at the end of verse 7. Your God reigns. I tell you, Pheidippides didn't have anything on this messenger. Nor did even Ahimaaz whomever it was who brought that message to my ancestors in the Netherlands and in England and to you or to your ancestors before you who have faithfully passed down the covenant blessings from one generation to the next, say, blessed be those beautiful feet who brought that message, that carried that message. Without them, humanly speaking, you would not be here this morning in the house of God. You would not be worshiping him, being thrilled again by the sure and certain knowledge and confidence that he's on the throne, ruling over absolutely everything that is on the earth or above the earth or under the earth. The question before us this morning, though, is this. What shall we do with this news? How shall we respond to it? What does it require of us? Three things. This news requires you to be happy. This news requires of you to be holy. This news requires that you be helped. First, dear Christian, the good news of your salvation requires you to be happy. Why does that sound so strange? Why why should I say such a thing like that, that this good news, this gospel, requires you to be happy? Strange. Just this. It's because we aren't. Because we aren't happy. And if you say that you are, then you're not nearly enough. If I were to tell you this morning that I had in this pulpit here one million dollars for each and every one of you right now, which, by the way, I don't. But if I were to tell you that in truth, your hearts would leap in your chests. A million dollars. Don't tell me that they wouldn't. You would say instinctively, I'm set For life, my worries are over. You would be very happy to have someone place a million dollars in your hands today if someone uh, with the authority to do so uh, were to tell you that you will never, ever be sick again. Never will you have a cold even for a single day. You'd be happy to hear that, wouldn't you? You'd be thrilled to hear it. You wouldn't have to be told to be happy. You just would. So it's the height of irony that we who have received the news of eternal life, we who know it for for a fact that if we die, we will still live forever, and if Christ comes first, we'll never die. We who know that we are in a right relationship with God because Christ's righteousness became ours the day our sins became His, should nonetheless be Told Have to be told, have to be commanded even, to rejoice. We have to be told, verse 9, to break forth together into singing. Alas, I think it is probably a safe bet that many of you uh, didn't feel like coming to worship this morning. Didn't feel like obeying the commandment to come together in the sanctuary and to sing together to our Savior. Some of you still don't feel like doing that, even though you're here. Why? Because other things are much more interesting to our flesh, aren't they? A part of you would rather be at the theater right now, watching a movie, rather than gathered in the house of worship. And if not at the theater, at the mall. Your flesh would be very happy to be home right now, because there are video games to play there. There are shows in the Netflix queue that you haven't seen yet. Websites you have yet to visit. Music you have yet to listen to. We all have those things. We have the Internet. We have cell phones. Good grief, we have Internet on our cell phones. We have Pandora for instant music. Netflix for instant movies. Game systems for instant games, microwaves for instant food, air-conditioned home, air-conditioned cars, multiple cars in many cases, food in the cupboard and on the table, more clothes in each of our individual closets than many families of the world have put together. And yet I can see, sometimes right on some of your faces, that you're not happy. Why not? Because you're trying to find your happiness in those things. Now You admit it. And I will too. We are, as C.S. Lewis put it, like ignorant children content to play in the slum with mud pies because we cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We've not made much of an effort, have we, at stoking the flames of the joy of our salvation. While at the same time we have futilely attempted to draw the milk of happiness from a bunch of dry plastic teats. But God has given you all the reason in the world for being truly happy. He's redeemed you. He has comforted you and will comfort you if only you will be comforted. He has saved you. These things don't make you happy like they should for the simple reason that you will not be made happy by them. Now, you have pain in your life, real affliction, sadness, grief. Everyone does, all of us do these years of ministry, if they've taught me anything, is that every person in this room and every family has problems, and in most cases, enough to blow in the dark clouds overhead every single day of the week. God knows that. Of course He does. The world is a veil of tears for us all. So this is not Pollyannish. Uh, happiness that God is after. This is not giggling at everything and and turning everything into a, a laughing matter and laughing ourselves to sleep at night. That's not what Jesus, what God is after. It is rather an abiding gladness that behind all these things, behind the dark clouds that have gathered over your head, there shines always the smile of your Savior God. It is a confidence that he's working all things, even the dark clouds, for your salvation. Let the beautiful feet of the Bible bring good news to you today and every day. Let the feet of Moses and David and John and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Matthew and Micah and and Paul visit your door and come into your door often. A constant stream of messengers to bring messages of good news to you. Turn off the television and open the door to the messages messengers who are waiting there at your door. The door of your Bible to pronounce to you, Nike, victory, your God reigns. They'll keep you rejoicing. And they'll give you plenty of reasons for rejoicing if you will listen to them and receive them. Turn off the cell phone for crying out loud for a few minutes and listen to the messenger of grace. Grace in the scripture, and then some, some messengers of your own to him, your prayers, and see if you will not grow in this matter, this obedience, this privilege and joy of happiness. Your God reigns and the joy of your salvation. Second, dear Christian, the good news of your salvation requires you to be holy. Verse 11, Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Modern scholars debate this part of the passage, especially concerning whether Isaiah is here calling the people out of their captivity from Babylon in particular, or whether this is more of a broad call to us to be purified from the world, from the sins that would defile us, the sins by which we should not even be stained. And the Apostle Paul, uh, his quotation of this passage from Isaiah in his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, helps to make the case uh, the latter case, to to bolster his warning to to us, to Christians, to be Uh, separate from unbelievers in marriage, uh, not marry unbelievers, and so not be unequally yoked. Paul writes, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. He quotes Isaiah. Now, obviously he's not telling those who find themselves married to unbelievers today that they should... Leave their unbelieving spouse? Absolutely not. As long as the unbeliever is willing, the scripture says the believers to remain married to that person. The point is this the Bible itself turns Isaiah 52 to Isaiah 52 to demonstrate that Christians, those who have experienced the grace of God, the salvation of God, who have received the good news of their salvation, should live differently as a result. Brothers and sisters, you're commanded to depart from the sinful things that those who have not or will not receive the good news still love to indulge. You are called to a life of holiness, A life of purity. Now, extracting ourselves from these things that would hinder us and the sins that so easily entangle us will prove a challenging and difficult task, won't it? I mean, even as the redeemed people of God that we are, if you will allow the expression, Babylon still has some attraction to us. Some draw. You know it had to be hard for a generation who had grown up in Babylon, even under terms of captivity, to then leave Babylon, to depart from there and its pleasures. At first they bristled against uh, Babylon, longing still for Zion, the city of God, but then they settled into Babylon, settled into her patterns and her pleasures, her way of life, and began to enjoy it. So it is with sin. So it is with the sinful patterns in our lives that have entrenched themselves there. Truth is, we like it that way. We have grown, for example, quite content in many cases to waste, simply eat up, gobs and gobs of time, hours upon hours of idleness, of doing nothing or worse. It's no big deal to Christian children to spend an entire afternoon playing video games. Some of which shouldn't be played by a Christian for one minute, much less for hours. Christian consciences have been seared by the entertainment that we take in so easily that now makes sexual immorality. Seem only uh, normal, even something to be embraced and desired. The heroes of television shows and movies now hop from bed to bed. Sexual promiscuity and experimentation are pandemic among even young children, very young children now. Unjust corporate dealings and dishonest, are regular fare in the business world. Tax evasion, even among Christians, has become a matter of giggling and snickering. The indulgence of lustful thoughts, the exchange of dirty jokes, the use of foul language. You know what goes on. And you could make a whole list this morning of them. Christians, you are to be separate from these things. These things are not even to be named among you. The good news is that your hearts and your tongues and your minds have been bought by the blood of your Savior from death and from hell. And the good news is that no longer possessed by them, they now belong to Him. He has bought them. He has purchased them. As you sometimes confess in the sanctuary, you belong body and soul in life and in death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now you must live that way. Well, now, let us be clear about one thing. Just because we're to be separate from these things does not necessitate that we must always physically remove ourselves from unbelievers, the impure people around us. I fear that we Christians, and I begin with myself on this, that we close ourselves off from unbelievers altogether. We cloister ourselves, as it were, in the church, in our little fortress, our Christian compound with high, impenetrable Walls and a language all our own that we speak inside those walls. No, no, it must not be so. Remember, Christians, where Jesus was found. You know, if there were bars in Jesus' day, that's where Jesus would have been found. He would have been found hanging around truck stops and All sorts of places where sinners hang out and the lost. Always interacting with them, he was. Always in conversation. He was the epitome, Jesus was, of what it means to live in the world, but not of the world. Israel was to be a separate nation, morally and spiritually set apart, but she was always supposed to be also a blessing to the nations, a witness to the others around them of the good news, the gospel. And so are you. It's precisely by living a holy life and godly in the presence before the view of unbelievers that you will adorn the good news. The gospel that you tell them with your lips, and in so doing, by the way, have beautiful feet yourselves. Now, for such a life, a life of happiness, a life of holiness, my brothers and sisters, you must be third helped by God. This is all too much. Far, far too much for us to accomplish ourselves. Here is the good news on top of good news, verse 12. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. God does not require anything from you, but that he does not also go, also go along with you to supply you the grace to do it. He goes before you. He is your rear guard behind you. He is beneath you. He is, he is above you. He is with you. He is in you. The very nature of the good news itself reminds us that we can't do anything on our own strength, nothing on our own. We can no more break off a little piece of sin from our lives some bad habit, some impure pattern of thinking or of speaking, then we can defeat the very curse of sin itself. It is not by our strength or by our power that we live happy lives in a sad, sad world or pure lives in a desperately sinful world. It is by the power and the strength of God that he supplies And look, God is himself deeply interested in seeing that you are happy in the truest sense of that word and that you are holy. God has an interest in seeing that it is so because there is an entire world of unbelievers looking at you, Christian, to see Is this really true? Is the good news really that good? Is it really the life-embracing, life-changing thing that we say it is, that He says it is? If so, they should be able to look at your life and see it. But it will require the power of God to make it so. This is, this is not a matter of, as the popular phrase goes, God helps those uh, what helps themselves. This is a matter of utter and complete dependence upon the grace and the strength of God, which he says is made perfect in our What? our weakness. Even as we make every effort with all of our might to see that our lives are as happy and as holy as they possibly can be. That is how we must live, whose messengers have brought to us and continue to bring to us again and again and again the good news of the gospel of our salvation. Nike, victory, your God reigns.